And welcome to episode 71. Um, for those of you who are kind of wondering, um, kind of changing up the scheduling of the podcast feed a little bit, we're going to have the podcast be published on Friday, available on Friday. That way, you know, end of the week with something good. And that way can leave room for Mondays to have uh, other fresh content and designate days of the week for different type of stuff. So anyway, um, Stephen Tompkins, Shaggy's joining me again. Hey, everybody. And last episode, we kind of, um, you know, talked about how much, you know, there was some there was some sadness last year. Some of our great icons passed away, including some, one who many may not have heard of. Um, Ralph Baer is considered to be the father of video games. Um, he, he would invent the very first um, video game console called the Odyssey. And looking back, this guy... This guy seemed pretty interesting. Um, um, did you know about him, or did you find out about him later? I found out about him um, just prior to our podcast that we did last week. Um, and since then, I did a little bit of research, looked at it a little bit, uh, because I didn't I just hadn't heard of him or anything. Nothing had been mentioned to me. And honestly, I don't think he's been on the news much or anything like that. At least anything that I've heard of. Well, and and a lot, you know, a lot of you know, a lot of people debated about him whether it truly was the quote-unquote father of video games, which we'll get into a little bit later, because a lot of a lot of his, you know, his his stuff was kind of ahead of its time. Um, believe it or not, he, he actually created the first digital game console. Um, there was parts of it that were analog due to limitations of the time, but but the stuff that on the inside that the programming was was actually digital, which it was binary, which was very, very interesting. Um, uh, he, he basically escaped uh, the horrors of World War II by fleeing to the United States with his family. Uh, so and he actually he actually served in the military too um, against against um, the basically Germany and other nations so so he he is he pretty much escaped some of the horrors of of World War two and if it weren't for that uh, we wouldn't be where we're at today um, the Magnavox Odyssey is the console that he would create that he created um, it had been shelved for a while because he ran the idea by people he was previously with and they thought it was outlandish impractical but as um, the cost of TVs went down he it he saw it as becoming more practical though 
some of his ideas were very, very interesting. Um, he want, he liked the idea of families coming together and interacting with t- a television as opposed to just staring at it. Um, and that almost sounds like uh, that almost sounds like the the Nintendo what the Nintendo Wii did in the modern era, getting people off the couch and interacting. From what I've noticed, so he was pretty much ahead of his time. What are your thoughts on this console that he made? Um, well. I had never heard of the Magnavox Odyssey. The um, the oldest console that I've ever touched or messed with was an Atari Twenty Six Hundred, and um, basically, the, uh, this console looks. Oh, let me go back to it. It looks similar to what you would see from the generation. It was first released in nineteen seventy two, so. That was that was at the time that game consoles weren't really a thing. This was really truly the first game console, so, and it's what brought us to where where we are now. Because game consoles are a very very popular common thing, and almost everybody has one in their house in some way, shape, or form. Or you've got your Android device, which can uh, also serve as a game console. Uh, it's it's really interesting that it was actually digital. I, I would have assumed that it would have been analog, but that's what I get for thinking. Um, <laughs> really, I don't think Atari would have developed if it weren't for this console, uh, because before this, Atari focused on... Um, they didn't have a game console before this. I, don't, I can't remember what they were doing. And I've pulled up a page that compares the Odyssey to other various um, game consoles of the time. And there is one that's listed, uh, that's made by Nintendo's, the Color TV. There's also the Coleco, which I'm pretty sure gave birth to the ColecoVision later on. And Bear actually um, helped Coleco with some of their stuff later on, too, to compete with other companies. So he, he remained busy, too. Yeah, he remained busy up until uh, not last year, but the year before. 2013 is when he kind of quit doing, making video games and uh, screwing around with electronics and stuff that he had done all his life. Because it, it said uh, in a little bio that I read about him that uh, his wife passed in mid-2000s, and they still continued to work on uh, video games and tinkering with electronics and so on and so forth up until roughly 2013. And then, of course, this last year he passed away. And that, and that's the very, interest, very, very interesting uh, point of, you know, kind of contention with them. Um, Ars Technica um, had an author that reviewed or interviewed him, and he didn't like the choice of words tinkering. He's like, I'm always working on something. Though he did note that um, that though his brain worked fine upstairs, 
Um, he's, his brain had the wiring of a 91-year-old, which makes it not as, you know, no fun anymore either, which, yeah, that, that's understandable. Um, but some of the, some of the features of this thing, and though this thing was digital, um, there were some analog parts, the controls and the video signals were analog due to limitations, but, um, a light gun was included later on, um, kind of a precursor to the NES zapper of sorts, um, Overlays were provided to simulate uh, color graphics, though they only supported specific screen sizes. And he tried he tried to find ways to include sound, but um, Magnavox wasn't having any of it. They weren't very cooperative. Um, so it, it it was pretty cool. Um, kind of some stuff that would later be in you know come down the line. In Atari would eventually improve upon its design and other uh, companies would as well. And, and that's kind of, you know, innovation would kind of uh, take hold. But he wasn't just known for that. He, he also created something else, too, that we, uh, pl we've played at least once in our lifetime – um, Simon, he he was behind that too, with all the patterns and sounds and everything else. Yeah, what Thomas is talking about is basically it's a um, kind of like a, a game that it, something that you would see common out of the mid '80s up until about the '90s was a r real popular type of uh, child's toy or game or whatever. Basically, what it had, it had four different colors, um, red, blue, green, and yellow. And when you would tap that color, it would play a specific note or a sound. And I had the list of the notes that it would play somewhere. Oh, well, anyway, um, that part's relevant. But um, when it was originally designed, it was this, the, the tones or notes that the uh, in instrument played were designed to be harmonic. So that way, when... It transitioned regardless of what key you hit first. You can hit the blue one or the green one or the red one, wh whichever one. Once you hit that one, you could play the next one, or you could play another one, or you could play the, like any number of combinations of those four notes, which actually would be. Let's see. Up to, I think, 16 or 15 different combinations of ways you can choose four of them out of the four. Anyway, that was some quick discrete math, but uh, the, the Simon game originally debuted in 1978, which was when um, Ralph made it. it. was originally called the Follow Me game, and the name changed to Simon when it was bought by Milton Bradley, which is uh, the company that most of us know for a lot of kids' games, um, Hasbro is another uh, common, which I, uh, popular one, which I think they own a lot of Milton Bradley products now. I know you can buy a newer iteration of Simon on Hasbro's website right now for, I believe it was $20. Uh, 
Hmm. Yes, twenty dollars. You can buy it, and then it uh, redirects you to different retailers like Toys R Us, Target, Amazon, stuff like that. So, but I mean, it's, it's the same basic game. It hasn't really changed. The names changed a little bit here and there, and then there was supposedly a second iteration of it called the Super Simon, which I'd never heard of. I heard of Simon. I remember seeing commercials when I was really little, but I never heard of Super Simon. Well, that's, and that's, like I say, he pretty busy. He He's done quite a bit, and he would uh, eventually receive, um, and I've had to, I had to contact Ars Technica about this right before the show, because I noticed they quote him in 2006 as having received the National Medal of Technology in 2006 by President, then-President George W. Bush, but according to Wikipedia and the um, U.S. Patent um, Office, he got it in 2004. Uh, and I... I would I would go with the patent office on this one, so so I so I asked them was he misquoted, <clears throat> what what happened, and I should you know, hopefully I'll get a response at some point, but um, but uh, he he was ultimately awarded a very high honor uh, for his work, though. He didn't go through this without controversies. Um, Magnavox had to go through patent disputes with other companies, including Atari and and Nintendo as well. And then there was, uh, you know, the whole who who was really the father of video games? Was it Bear or was it Bushnell? And it's referencing um, kind of a game that was developed on the PDP-1 called Space War at MIT. There was eventually a game that was based on that that went to market. Eventually, uh, Bushnell was credited with um, being the father of arcade machines and Bear being the father of uh, video game consoles of sorts. So, there was that dispute, but um, but yeah, it, it's it's been quite a quite a quite an interesting journey for Bear. Uh, like, what what are your thoughts on this? I think I think a lot of this um, this has really set the. Uh, when he made these, he really set the uh, the bar for everything else that came afterward. And like I said earlier, it, I don't think Atari really would have seen their boom without the Magnavox Odyssey because that was the, what their competition was. And that's what the Magnavox competition was. And soon after that, Atari did hit its boom up until oh, probably just before the 90s is when they started falling out. And losing losing space because of uh, Nintendo and uh, the Sega consoles. Sega kind of picked up around that time. Um, 
we really wouldn't see a lot of that, a lot of interactive toy, electronic toys that we had in, in, if Simon hadn't come out. And so it's really we should we should thank him for a lot of the things that he's he's given to the uh, gaming community and stuff like that. And in ter- in terms of how he eventually viewed the views uh, modern gaming, um, he he's pretty complicated. On the one hand, he doesn't care for you know the overabundance of violence and gore in games, but on the other hand, notes that it's mainly his opinion and that there's really nothing he can do about it. Um, it makes as much sense trying to get rid of that as it is to try to get rid of certain genres of books. It's not going to happen. But he also disagrees with the idea that video games are only for kids. Uh, so that's you know, that's kind of where, you know, Nintendo Wii came into play, and, and he's also given a nod to, you know, mobile devices and how that's kind of taken off, too, in terms of casual games. So, in, in terms of co- consoles today... um how does the Odyssey stack up? <laughs> the Odyssey is just pretty archaic. Um, it doesn't really give many specs on it per se. It, it lists like the types of chips that were used at the time, and it's really it's really hard to compare them to current chips because, uh, of course, they they were digital, and it's chips and microprocessors have always been digital because it's it's based on transistor technology. Uh, but before its time, it was it would probably be equivalent to or better than uh, a processor that you could find in uh, like your average smartphone or average flip phone. Flip phones even have microprocessors in them. Um, a lot of high-end routers now have are starting to come out with dual-core processors that are like one gigahertz. So those would probably be the equivalent of lower-end. Um, game consoles of the time, so some of the first ones probably. Uh, now, I mentioned earlier that I found something which it compares each one, each different type of game console to another one, and it also lists the prices to modern, uh, what it would be today if it was brand new. And for the Magnavox Odyssey itself, when it originally launched, it was a hundred dollars, a hundred US dollars, and now it would be approximately $564 based on inflation and other things. And for the Atari, like the original Atari game console, the Pong, what I think is what it was called, it was $98.95. Today it would be $434. So it's roughly the equivalent of buying like a brand new PS4 or going out and buying an Xbox, an Xbox One. But at the time, the technology was completely different. And and looking at looking at the description of this console, it used jumpers instead of other things, which sounds equally as archaic. It reminds me of jumper settings on hard drives that you 
had to set on certain pins just to set master and slave. <laughs> Whereas nowadays you really, really don't have to worry about that as much anymore with serial ATA. But I, I, I found the idea of, you know, a light gun to be kind of really, really nifty. Um, Cause later, later on Nintendo, Nintendo would, um, with the NES, otherwise known as the Famicom, come out with the Zapper, and and that's a light gun, and everything else. So, clearly ahead of its time, and and the the guy worked all the way up to, um, just recently, um, he eventually moved on from video games and worked on other things. But he never, never stopped doing it until shortly before his passing away. Uh, but uh, for those of you who want to know more about him, uh, RalphBear.com, um, and we'll have that in the show notes. You can find out more about him there, and and we'll also have relevant links to um, him having that. Uh, National Medal of Technology being the recipient of that and everything else. So, uh, a, lot, a lot of people may not have heard of him, but um, according to that one interview, he said that after receiving that medal, he didn't, you know, he doesn't feel left out at all. You know, he was honored by the White House for his contributions. So, where, um, what do you like knowing this now? Um, what do you see going forward with the video game industry? Do you think it's there's going to be another crash, or is there going to be a different type of innovation where the landscape just simply changes again and? people get interested again and interact with one another. I don't know. Um, I'd say that there's probably going to be some sort of new innovation that comes out and changes people's perspective and point of view in terms of uh, interaction with each other on video games and so on and so forth. I know for like the PS4, there is um, a key on the, con- a button on the controller that you can hit you can take a screenshot and upload videos of like whatever you're playing. So like I'm sure you've been on uh, YouTube and seen multiple different let's play videos of like whatever insert whatever game title here. Let's play this game title, <laughs> and now you can do that with a PS4. So if you have a PS4 exclu- exclusive game such as uh, The Order 1886 or um, Drive Club. Uh, games, any any game that's strictly exclusive to the PS4, if you want to do do a let's play, you can and you can share it directly to uh, YouTube or Facebook, and I think even Twitch TV streaming is supported by that. I think the Xbox One has something similar, but I think it's a little bit limited as compared to the PS4. Um, I think I think probably the biggest trend for gaming might be virtual reality. I don't know. It hasn't really seen a spike in popularity because it's not something that's really readily available for the public at the moment. 
especially after micro, or Facebook bought the Oculus VR technology. So it's, it's hard to say, but I, I'm hoping, and at the same time, I'd like to see a spike for the virtual reality technology because it's really an interesting segment of gaming and technology in general, and I'd like to see it applied to video gaming. At the same time, I I like to stick to traditional gaming. I like my keyboard and mouse and controller. And stuff. It's, it's what most people are familiar with, but I would love to try out some sort of alternate, rela- uh, like virtual reality, something like that would just be that awesome. <laughs> on, a, on a somewhat related note, I, I read about Google ending their Explorer program for Google Glass. I think they're coming out with something. I think they're going to be expanding upon that and coming out with this kind of something different uh, regarding that in the near future. I saw that and I was like, oh, wow. So I think they're getting ready to take their experiment to the next level. Um, What about the um, hacking, making community regarding games? Because Valve has been has had Steam OS for quite some time and there has been the idea of uh, Steam based video game consoles as well. I'm not sure where that's going because honestly it seems like it seems like that kind of really hit a brick wall because they were like, we're gonna come out with this, this is gonna be popular because everybody were talk everybody was talking like on forums everywhere you can see chatter about uh, a Steam box because everybody thought Valve was going to come out with a Steam box and it would be proprietary hardware made by them only. But now the way it looks is that the, the idea of a Steam box is released to other manufacturers. So like your normal PC manufacturers. In fact, Alienware has their own console out already. You can buy it at Walmart right now. You can walk into whatever Walmart, go up, and it's usually next to like where the PS4 is. At least in uh, the Warrensburg Walmart, it's next to the PS4 on the very bottom shelf. Um, and it's just like a normally spec'd gaming PC with Windows 8.1, so it's not running CMOS. It might be something that Microsoft's trying to do to try and stab uh, Valve in the back and say, hey, we got there first. Uh, but... I don't know. I really see. I, I don't think they might come out with something in the next year, and I hope they do because they're really slowing down and haven't heard much out of Valve at all, really. Because there's not been much innovation in the Steam Steam client, and Steam OS is just kind of there, but it's just they haven't popped or anything, done anything to grab anybody's attention. Um, what is the price of this machine from Alienware, by the way? Uh, last time I checked, I think it was about $550. So, uh, based on the hardware that's in it, I don't, I think the price is approximately close to what you could build for a cheap PC without, uh, with taking out the, uh, motherboard and other things into consideration, just focusing on your processor, your video card, and then an Xbox 360 controller for a peripheral. I think it might have the Xbox One controller. I don't remember, but I think it was about five fifty dollars, five hundred fifty dollars. 
you know, if, if this is somebody, something that somebody can uh, tweak and take 8.1 off of and put something else on, that might be an interesting proposition, but... Yeah, the cheapest one online on uh, Dell's website is $500 because it's supposed to be $549 for retail recommended sale, and that's what we have it on sale for at, at Walmart. So, Right. So this thing, so that, so that, that's the only uh, Steam-based console that's come out. I think what they're what they were initially trying to do was kind of liberate the idea of console making and let other people make their own console and that sort of thing. And it's kind of, kind of petered out and stories about, um, about an error in some script causing steam to wipe out your entire home directory and then some, and that's only if you muck about with muck about your, you know, your official Steam directory in your home directory. Okay, so I just I was looking at this to confirm the price, but also it is running Steam. It's a proprietary user interface that gives you options for settings and stuff like that and to turn the device off if it's powered on, but also to launch Steam. So it's it is a Steam box. It's just running Windows and stuff Linux. Gotcha. So that might be because of um, uh, software-related issues and driver-related issues with Linux at the moment, which have been hopefully they smoothing over recently, but not not at the rate it should be. Well, hopefully things change in the near future, and I think that's gonna wrap up the episode quite nicely. Um, ralphbear.com if you want to find out more about the father of video games. Um, kind of pretty much ahead of his time and and something positive being contributed to society. Uh, uh, little did he know that escaping the horrors of World War II or escaping the horrors of the Holocaust would lead to something so wonderful like this. So um, entertain yourself, educate yourself, empower yourself. Um, this episode will be available a week from this Friday for those of you who are watching this on YouTube if you want to tell all your friends about it. Um, and episode 70 will be available this Friday. So um, stay tuned um, and we'll see you all later. See you guys.